Good morning. Hope y'all are good. Excited about this morning. Excited about uh, what God's been doing in our church lately, um, in our community. I'm just excited to see what all has been taking place. Um, just in the month of February, we had 29 salvations here at Statesboro. Um, it's been incredible. Incredible to see that. Um, just thank God for what he's doing uh, across all the campuses. I believe we've had 34, 35 salvations that have taken place and it's just been cool to see God moving um, and and see how he's working uh, in everybody's lives and and we're excited about this excited about what all God has in store and truly believe that the best is ahead of us we believe that uh, it's just the beginning of what God wants to do and so um, we're excited about the things that are coming I'm excited uh, today about this message and about looking at this lady this woman who comes into Jesus's presence and anoints his feet with this expensive perfume. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to read this out of Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 through 50. And uh, I'm excited about it because it's an incredible story to show Jesus' heart, but it's also an incredible story that shows this woman's heart. And so we're going to read this together, then we'll pray, then we'll jump into the message. It says in verse 36, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it is alive and active. Thank you, God, that um, it is empowered by your spirit. God, today I pray that we would um, open our hearts to receive your word and that your word would find good soil there. Soil that produces fruit in our lives. God, I just pray that in this time, in this moment, in the next few minutes, that you would, God, be very real to us. And that your presence would just just come into our presence, God. Lord, we love you and thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that as a parent I think about a lot got three boys and I think about a lot is uh, like when they go to someone else's house or they're, 
they're off with some other people. I think about a lot, like, how do they behave? What do they do? Especially my little one, Reed. I oftentimes wonder, like, what does he do when I'm not around and he's at someone else's house? I especially think about that when I think about what they do at somebody else's dinner table. Because my prayer is always like, Lord, please don't let them act at somebody else's table the way they act at ours. Right? Uh, Reed never sits down. I mean, it's just it's chaos um, for us. And so um, I'm just always thinking, Lord, just let them behave. Let them behave. Let them do right. Um, I'm a preacher. They're supposed to be well-behaved. God, just help us, Lord. Have mercy on us. And so that's typically how I'm thinking. Um, and I think sometimes the disciples may have felt that way with Jesus. Um, Lord, just let him behave. Just, just let him not get us in any more trouble. Let him just, just act right. Let him not do anything that's going to cause a stir, Lord. Um, uh, or God, you know, just, 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 uh, just somehow let him behave. And, and Jesus in this story and in a lot of other stories um, does not behave at, dinner t- at the dinner table, at least not according to the way that the Pharisees think they sh- he should behave. And many of the religious people of that day felt that he should behave. He behaves very differently. And that's what we're looking at today is how Jesus responds to this situation, how Jesus responds to this woman. This week when I was studying this, um, I looked at it and, and verse 37 really stuck out to me. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I love this, this phrase. I love that, that, that verse because what it tells us is that when she found out where Jesus was, she had to be there. When she found out where Jesus was, was at, she wanted to be in his presence. She wanted to be in the presence of God. She had a, probably the deepest understanding of Jesus and who Jesus was of anybody in this, sto- in this story. She understood who he was. She had experienced the forgiveness of sins and she wanted to come into his presence. The question I asked myself and the question I asked you and what challenged me this week and I hope will challenge you is this question of do I desire to come into God's presence? Do I desire to be in the presence of Jesus? Do I desire to, to, to be in the presence of God? Do I desire to experience the Holy Spirit? Does my life indicate in any way that I have this desire? Because the reality of it is, it's hard for us to say and claim to be saved people, to be people who've experienced the grace of God if we never desire to go into God's presence. And God calls us there. It's, it's, it's to me, it's the greatest privilege that we have. It's the greatest thing that God has, has given us is the ability to have relationship with him, the ability for us to go into his presence. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 tells us this. It says that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way as we have, yet it was without sin. He says, so we can come boldly before his throne of grace to receive, or to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And the thing that I look at that is, and I think about with that is it's so, it's so convicting because of how many times we take that for granted. How many times we don't take advantage of that opportunity. When's the last time you heard God speak to your heart? When's the last time you read the word and it came alive to you? When's the last time you sought God in a way that gave him opportunity to speak to your heart? It's a challenging thing. And if we're not careful, we'll start going through life and doing life and then get to a point where we look back and go, I don't know the last time that God spoke to me. I don't know the last time that I heard his voice. I don't know the last time that God impressed anything upon me. 
because we don't often draw into his presence. But this lady, this, this woman, she wanted to be in his presence more than anything else. When I look at it, I see this woman who came to Jesus and she was motivated. She was motivated to get into his presence. And why was she motivated? The, the passage tells us because her sins have been forgiven. And see, for us, we have to realize the same thing, that if we're in Christ, our sins have been forgiven. The things that we've done wrong, um, the things that we did to someone, the things that we've done that were not pleasing to God, those things have been forgiven. And this is her great motivation. The scripture tells us that that's why she's come to Jesus. It's because he's, he's given her what she couldn't get any other way. He's given her forgiveness. And so she comes to him. She recognizes who he is, the savior of the world, and she comes to him. I think for many of us, we forget what Jesus has done for us. I think oftentimes we we don't remember. And here's the thing. I don't want to ever live in the past. I don't want to ever live in condemnation because of the things that I've done. But I also never want to forget where Jesus has brought me from. I never want to forget what Jesus has done in my life, what Jesus has done in my heart, because that's what motivates me to worship. When I see the goodness of God through Christ and all the chaos and all the stuff that goes on in the world, the one consistent thing is the fact that we can see the goodness of of God through Jesus. When everything else is chaotic, when everything else is going crazy around us, when, when maybe the things on the news look, look bleak and things don't look good and, and maybe we even feel some fear, we can look to the cross and see the goodness of God. And that keeps us going, keeps us moving forward. And when we think about what God's done in our lives, in our own individual lives, it becomes a motivation for us to pursue God. The cool thing about it is Jesus didn't just gloss over her sin, though. It wasn't like he just made light of it. It was a big deal. Most of the people I read, everybody I read um, in studying this, said that when it talks about her being a sinful woman, that it means she was a prostitute. That this woman was a prostitute. And Jesus even says her many sins have been forgiven. And the thing I want you to see today and hear today um, from this part of this story is that Jesus didn't gloss over her sin. He recognized the sin. He recognized it for what it was. He recognized that she had great sin. But the good news for us is that where sin is great, his grace is greater. That his grace overcomes that sin. And we realize that it's something that draws us to God. It's something that draws us to Christ. When we think about what God's done for us, when we think about who he is, it begins to draw us closer to him and pull us into his presence. And the Bible is very clear and gives us a very clear promise that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. The question is, are we drawing near to him? Because it's in his presence that we find his power. It's in his presence that we we are set free. It's in his presence that we find victory. It's in his presence that he gives us vision for our life and what he's calling us to do. And it's in his presence that he gives us purpose for our existence. It's in his presence that he gives us courage. You think about those disciples in, in the early church and they were all scared and fearful. And then the day of Pentecost comes when the Holy Spirit is given. The presence of God comes and indwells them in a way that he had never indwelled people before. And they go out and they begin to be courageous doing the things 
things that God wanted them to do, even to the point of giving their lives for the gospel. And I'm telling you, if we'll come into God's presence, he'll give us courage to take our next steps. He'll give us the power we need to continue to move forward in pursuing him. But our hearts have to be bent towards God. They have to be pressing into God. We have to desire to come into his presence. When we lived uh, in Waynesboro for a little while, and uh, um, I won't talk much about my experience there, but uh, anyway, we lived there for a while, and uh, I'd gotten saved just a few months later. In fact, I'd gotten saved while we lived in Waynesboro, um, and, and so I was all fired up about God and excited about God, and you know, that, that, that new feeling of of you get when you're first saved and you're, you realize my sin is forgiven and that's lifted off of you. And, and I was in that moment and, and I remember sitting there reading my Bible one night and I felt like the Lord said, go get by yourself. And so Susan was doing something else in the duplex, we, in, in the duplex there we lived in. And so I got up and went into the bedroom and closed the door, cut out the light and sit down in the middle of the floor. And I'm thinking the whole time if Susan walks in, she's gonna think I'm crazy, right? Because here I'm just sitting in the middle of the floor. I'm just like, hmm, you know, just sitting there. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really even know what I was doing there. I just knew that I felt like God said, go get by yourself. And so I got up and went in there and got by myself. I wasn't um, versed in meditation. I wasn't versed in, in really even seeking God. I just knew that I'm reading my Bible. God says, go get by yourself and sit down in the floor. And so I went in there and I sat. And, and I remember having the thought, God, I'm not leaving here until you show up. I'm not leaving here until I experience your presence. And as I sat there that morning or that evening, as I sat there, um, I remember sitting there for what seemed like eternity. But then all of a sudden, it was like the atmosphere in the room changed. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is a true story. The, the presence of God came into that room in such a way that I'd never experienced before. And all I could do was start crying. I mean, I'm in there by myself, sitting Indian style in the middle of the floor, weeping, just crying my eyes out. And at this point, I'm like, if Susan opens the door now, she's really gonna think I've lost it, really gonna think I'm nuts. And so I'm just sitting there um, crying my eyes out, but the presence of God was so thick, it was so real, um, and, and I long for that. It creates a longing when we're in the presence of God. It's such a, a wild experience because on one hand it satisfies, and yet on the other hand, we're never fully satisfied because we want more of him. And so we, we, we long for him, we crave more of God. And my heart for you, this morning my heart for you in your life is that you would long for him you would crave more of him more of his presence but along with that comes this if we're going to pursue him one we've got to be motivated to pursue him but we've also got to realize I can't pursue other things so many of us are pursuing other things with our whole heart and God gets the leftovers We've got to get to this place where we realize that if I'm going to experience God in a real way, then I've got to leave all this other stuff behind. I've got to leave all that behind so that I can pursue him. We talked about Matthew or Levi a few weeks ago when he got up and left his tax collector's booth and it said he got up and left everything and followed Jesus. And that's what he calls for us is just leave all of this so that we can pursue him, that nothing would hinder us. And that's what I want for you. I want for you to press into God. I want for you to experience God. Here's the thing that I realize: If God is real, and he is, then we should be able to truly experience his presence. And we can. That's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, it's by faith that we come into God's presence through Christ. 
But faith is one, it's trust in God. It's believing that God is who he says he is. But two, it's also coming to a place of repentance or turning from our sin and turning to God and pursuing him. And so both of those things are at work in our faith that brings us into God's presence. And so we see this lady who is motivated to go. We see in this story that both of them Um, in the parable that Jesus tells, both people owed a debt. Both people owed a debt that neither one of them could pay. One debt was larger than the other, but both owed a debt. The problem for the Pharisee is he couldn't recognize the fact that I owe a debt I cannot pay. Where this woman realized I owe a debt I cannot pay, but I know the one who's gonna pay it. I know the one who's gonna take my place on the cross, take my sin upon himself, pay for those sins so I don't have to. And so he's gonna set me free. He has set me free. And now I can live in the presence of God as she comes and she begins to anoint his feet with this perfume. And so we see that both both owed a debt. It wasn't that Simon was perfect and didn't have a debt to be paid. It was that Simon was stubborn and he refused to admit he needed a savior. And we can't live that way. We can't live stubborn and stiff-necked like we don't need God, like we don't need a savior. In our world, we have so many creature comforts and so many things that, that we have around us to make us comfortable. But we get to this place where that becomes this anesthetic that, 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 that numbs us to our need for God. But I'm telling you now, we can trust in those things or we can trust in God. We can depend on those things or we can depend on God. And some of us today are so stiff-necked and stubborn that we won't fall on our knees and worship the savior. But I'm telling you today, that there will be a day that comes that no matter how big and how bad you are, you're gonna fall on your knees and confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. There will be a day when you stand before him and there will be a time when we all confess with our mouths that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, let's make that on this side of eternity, not on the other side. Let's make that now. It's the best way to live. You think about it and you're like, man, I need to leave everything to follow him. Absolutely, but you'll never regret it. I can tell you since I was 24 years old, I've been following God. I'm not perfect at it. There's times when I look back and I go, when's the last time I heard God? And I realize I've got to start pressing into him. But what I can tell you is that in all those years, getting to be more years now than I'd like to admit um, since I was 24. But the thing I can tell you is that I'd have no regrets in following Jesus. I've made huge decisions for my life and for my family because I felt like Jesus was saying, leave this or go there, do this, do that. But I can tell you, I've never regretted following him. And you won't either when you go and you leave everything and you say, this is all God's, I'm pursuing him. I'm going after him. And so she came and she was motivated by what God had done for her. She came and she was also prepared. She was prepared. I have a couple of reoccurring dreams. I don't know if y'all have any reoccurring dreams. One of those reoccurring dreams happens in a couple of different ways. One way it happens is like I'm on the way to church to preach on Sunday morning and I cannot get to the church. Like every time I make a turn that I think is right, it it never gets me to the church. Like I go on another road that I don't know where I'm at and I'm like, where do I go? And so I'll make another turn. It never gets me to where I'm supposed to be. And so I'm just constantly trying to get there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be late. Another part of this is usually when I get here, nobody's here. I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? What did I do? And and nobody's here for, for worship. And then 
Um, the other part of it too is that sometimes I finally get to the church, but then I don't have my, my, my notes or I don't have a message ready that, that I'm gonna preach. And sometimes that's actually true, but it's still a dream that I have a lot of times too, is that I get here and I'm like, I don't have anything to say. And it's this reoccurring dream that I'm not prepared, that I'm not ready to do what God's called me to do. And, and I look at this though, and I see this woman who was prepared. She was motivated, but she was also prepared. She was ready. She came with this alabaster jar of perfume that she was gonna use in her worship of Jesus. But I think about for us, how many times do we walk through the doors of the church and we're not prepared to worship? How many times do we come in and it's just something we do because it's part of our regular routine or it's part of what I feel like I've gotta do so God won't be mad at me or it becomes like a lucky rabbit's foot that if I just do this, maybe God will be good to me. And so we just go through the motions of it when reality is we should come in expecting God to do great things. I wanna tell you what we get to experience here is not normal. It's not something that just happens. What we get to experience every week in God moving and working in people's hearts, we're just about every week we see people go from death to life through salvation in Jesus Christ where we get to see that it's not something that just happens and we can't take that for granted we of all people have been blessed by God to see him move in incredible ways we should come in expecting God to do something ready for God to do something ready for God to move in our hearts ready for God to move in the hearts of other people prayerfully saying God would you save people today God would you deliver people today God would you set people free today knowing that God is a God who does that because we've seen that happen in our very midst. We should be excited about what God's gonna do, anticipating what God's gonna do and ready for what God's gonna do. But we get ready for what God's gonna do, excited about what God's gonna do and prepared for what God's gonna do. Not when we walk in and we're in the middle of the third worship song, but during the week as we worship God every day. Not by, not by just going through the motions of life and then going, oh, well, I guess it's 11.15. We should probably head to church now, right? Some of y'all do that, like 11.15. We can still get there for the message. You wanna go? No, it's like we're, we're ready, man. We're prepared. Why? Because we've been pressing into God. We're ready. We've been listening to his voice during the week. We've been praying to him during the week. We've been listening and praying and preparing and being used by God every day of our lives. And so he prepares us and we come in prepared to worship. We go through our life prepared to worship him, prepared to be used, prepared to be used by God. And I'm telling you, this voice of Satan, he is a liar, he is an accuser. And, 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 and so many times we buy into what he tells us, that you're not good enough. You slip up and you stumble and you think, well, I've got to wallow around in this for a little while before God will forgive me. No, when you recognize sin in your life and you turn from it, God forgives you at that moment. Don't waste time in this place of feeling like I can't come to God. God tells us clearly that we can come boldly before his throne of grace. We see in his word that when we turn to him, he's turned to us and he's forgiving us. And so we can come into his presence when we trip, when we stumble, when we do sin, when we do fall short, there's an opportunity for us to repent of that, to turn from that and to turn back to him, pressing into him. And again, we experience his grace and forgiveness, which makes us want to experience his presence even more because of what he's doing in us and in our, our lives. 
when I see this woman, she comes in and she comes in prepared with this oil and, or with this perfume. And I look at her and she's such a contrast to Simon. She's such a contrast to who he was. When Jesus came in, he didn't do the customary things to welcome him. They would always have someone or they would wash the person's feet as they came in. They would, they would give them a kiss of welcome. They would put oil on their head. It was inexpensive olive oil that they would put on their head. Um, and then they would go and they would have their meal. But when Jesus comes in, Simon does none of this. Why? Because Simon doesn't realize what he's, he needs. He doesn't admit that he needs a savior. He doesn't recognize in Jesus the savior of the world. And so he doesn't do any of this. But this woman comes and she has this perfume and she gives him kisses on his feet, not on his cheek, but on his feet. And she begins to wet his feet and wash his feet with her tears because she's overwhelmed with emotion of who this is she's with and what he's done for her. And then we look at it and she begins to dry his feet with her hair. And, and then she pours the perfume on his feet, anointing his feet with this perfume. And what blows me away is how this lady comes to Jesus and she's got this perfume that was very, very, very expensive. And I think about this lady because I think about what her occupation was and I think about what she had to do to be able to purchase that perfume. And it blows me away that she comes in and she says, he's worthy. He's worthy of everything that I have. He's worthy of, of, of this perfume. He's worthy of all of my worship. And she pours it on his feet and she gives him everything that she has. So she came prepared. She came ready. She came willing because of what Jesus had done in her life. She also came boldly. She came boldly to Jesus. Nothing held her back. For this, this woman to walk into this house, it would have been as if for you and I, some contagious disease just walked into our house. That's how they would view her. As if this contagious disease just walked into her house. Everybody would have been looking down their nose at her. Everybody would have been judging her, thinking there's no reason for her to be here. Why is she in the house of this Pharisee? She's gonna make everybody in here unclean and impure like she is. But she comes boldly. She wouldn't let fear hold her back from going into the presence of God. She wouldn't let others hold her back from going into the presence of God. And yet I wonder how many times do we let fear um, creep into our minds and into our hearts that hinders us from worship. We worry so much about what other people think. And I'm like, what? it doesn't matter. It matters much more what God thinks. And is my life pleasing to God? It doesn't matter, but how is the fear of man holding you back? And you can say, well, I don't fear nothing. Yes, you do. For some, it's this fear of, of, of what are people gonna think if I truly abandon it all and I truly lay it all at God's feet like this woman with this perfume and I truly lay it at his feet and I truly walk away from it and I say, God, it's all yours. You do with it what you want, but I'm all yours too, God. And I want you more than anything else. What if, what if you did that? What is it about the fear of what your friends might think? What is it about the fear of what total strangers might think? I knew I spent so much of my life, the first 24 years of my life, trying to live and be somebody and be something that most people didn't even care about. Most of the people I was trying to please, they, they, they didn't give a, 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 an ounce of, of care about me. And yet I'm changing my life. I'm trying to change myself to become who I think they want me to be. 
And so many times we live our lives that way and it's nonsense and it's foolish. When we have a God who's ready and willing to embrace us just as we are, but loves us so much that he won't leave us that way. But it begins to transform our lives and we can come boldly into his presence. This lady would not allow her fears to keep her from coming into God's presence. She wouldn't allow her fears to keep her from coming into the presence of God. Her passion was greater than her fears. And so she boldly came into his presence. The last one that I see in this, and I love this one, this is probably my favorite, is that she came into his presence as a new creation. She came into his presence as a new creation. She comes in and, and, and Jesus makes this statement. He, he turns toward the woman. So it says this in, in verse 44. He turns towards the woman. So he's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? And I, I, I see in my mind, I can see Jesus with his gaze fixed on this woman as she's crying and weeping and, and, and anointing his feet. And, and I can see Jesus like looking at her, but seeing her completely different than everybody else saw her. This is the most amazing thing. The most amazing part of this whole story to me is that as Jesus looks at her, he sees something completely different than everybody else. As everybody else looked at her, they saw a prostitute. They saw a whore. They saw a woman who had lived an impure life. They saw someone who could never possibly be in the circle of God, into his presence, who could never possibly be accepted in the community. They saw someone who was so far gone from God that there was no chance or no hope for them. And yet when we see Jesus looking at her, he sees something completely different. I believe that when Jesus looked at her, he saw something beautiful. I think when Jesus looked at her, he saw someone redeemed. I believe when Jesus looked at her, he saw someone who had been set free. He had seen someone that had been delivered. He saw someone whose sins had been forgiven. He saw a daughter of God. He saw someone that would no longer live the lifestyle that she had been living because she had encountered something so much greater. She encountered the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today that that's available for you. I don't care how far you've run from Jesus. I don't care how far you've run from God. The reality for us today is that if we'll turn to him, he's already Already come to us. That's the whole point of Jesus coming is he's God with us and he's made a way for us to come to himself. If we'll just turn in faith and trust in repentance and come to him, he is there to receive us. He's there to receive us. And so I love this thought that Jesus asked him, do you see this woman? Jesus knew he saw her. Jesus knows, he knew. He already knew that the man didn't think he was a prophet. He knew that he had seen the woman. Everybody saw the woman. Everybody was like, <gasps> everybody saw her. What he really was saying is, Simon, what do you see? What do you see? And see, if we could see with the eyes of Jesus, we'd see people a lot differently. There's a great danger that we judge people by where they are. We look at their lives and say, well, look at them. How could they be that way? Well, what I'm telling you is we don't need to look at people according to where they are. We need to look at people according to where they've been. We need to look at how people are, how God's worked in their lives and how people are growing and transforming and changing. We have people all the time where I can't believe they stand out there in front of the church and smoke cigarettes. I'm like, well, they were smoking crack last year, so it's a lot better than crack, ain't it? (laughs) 
I'm like, my gosh. Celebrate the fact that God's working in their lives, not the fact that they don't hold up to your standards because at the end of the day, they're not gonna be judged by our standards. They're gonna be judged by God's, but if they're in Christ, all of those standards have been met. And so we can come to this place of recognizing that and understanding that and, and, and allowing that to encourage us and motivate us to wanna be in the presence of God. And, and that's the awesome thing about him that he gives us that opportunity to press into him. Listen, it's, it's not some magical hocus pocus thing that if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be in the presence of God. God's presence is here. His word says that where two or more are gathered in his name, two or three are gathered in his name, that he's there with us. So he is here. Coming into God's presence is tuning into the reality that already exists. God is here. God with us. Jesus is amongst us. And so I want you to see that today. I want you to embrace that today. I want you to be able to walk in that today. And I hope that today will be a day of transformation for you. A day that your life is very different. A day that you begin to press into God's presence like maybe you've never done before. Listen, you don't have to be in the church to do that. You can do that riding down the road in your truck or your car. You can do that sitting at home in your recliner. You can do that on your knees by your bed. You can do that wherever you are because God's presence, if you're a Christian, is not some, something that has to come down out of heaven. It's something that exists inside of you. So all you need to do is fan into flame what God's already doing inside of you. He's there. He's very real. He's very present. And we can experience him in very real and very present ways. I felt like this morning as I was praying that God started speaking to my heart and that I was supposed to just close early today. You know, you're like, amen to that preacher. The best thing you said all day. But not, not so just so that we can get out a little bit early, which we may, I don't know but so that we could set time aside for God to speak to our hearts. I, I feel like this, I feel like in life, it's so easy to just run through life and, and miss God's presence. And just the same way, it's easy for us to come into church and sometimes the music's good, the message was all right. And then before we know it, we're through and done question is, have we experienced God? Have we experienced his presence? And today, I want you to do that. I want you to cry out to him. But what I want to ask you to do is this for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you that if you would, with this bowing your head and closing your eyes, where there's coming down here to this altar, maybe you need to come. We had somebody get on their face before, in, in the, right here at the altar at nine o'clock. I don't know what you need to do. But I'm, I'm encouraging you to assume this position of worship, this posture of worship. And I'm asking you to ask God to speak to your heart. Ask God to be real to you. It may be the first time in your life that you've prayed anything like that. But I'm gonna ask you for the next couple of minutes to say, God, I just want you. I wanna hear you. I wanna know you. I want you, God. And listen, 
God's not looking at you like you're crazy. Jesus is not up there going, what a kook. Jesus is not up there thinking, how could this sinner possibly come to me? Jesus is looking at you through his own blood and seeing someone that's made righteous through him and seeing someone who's doing what they were created to do in worshiping him. So I'm gonna ask you, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, would you come and get on your knees, would you do whatever you need to do, but let's let God speak to us for a second.